listening once again to Riffs and Scripts. Riffs and Scripts. My name is Cole Bryant. And my name is Amber Savar. Hello, Amber. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, good, good. I'm all right. I'm all right. I watched the football this weekend. Yeah, um, everyone did. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone except... Like, did you watch the football? Doesn't seem like your bag. It's not my thing. And actually, um, I had a lot of fun because my dad and brother take it very seriously. So I stayed in and watched it with the boy (laughs) and we actually just had a laugh. Like, and it was quite fun. Um, It is painful that basically as it was starting, he said, well, get ready to either hear car horns keeping us up all night or for your car to get trashed. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. what? And then I thought, I've actually left my car on the main road because there weren't any spaces earlier. So I went downstairs to move my car to put it in the block of flats because mm. there were spaces. Came back upstairs, England has scored. <laughs> I know. I um, Can you believe I it? Was trying to, I was trying to get ITV to work on my computer and um, I uh, couldn't get it working and I had to do like a sign-in code and all that shit. And then... Um, <laughs> My my luck, I joined three minutes in and we scored oh, two minutes in. Right. So I missed our freaking goal anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, you've touched on something that I did want to bring up in that um, I, I actually quite like the football and I didn't realise how much I'd liked it until my adult life um, just because right. my family didn't really, really take an interest. But, you know, it brings out a side in British people in some sections of British people, which I would rather it didn't. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, I did discuss this with Amber beforehand, but, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to say, if you're chatting racist shit at footballers for, you know, a couple of duff penalties, then you're a piece of shit. Not um, only that, like there were, you know, there were Italian fans getting the shit kicked out of them yeah, on the way out of the stadium. Up in the street. It was Fucking disgusting disgraceful. and you people embarrass me. Yeah. Like, that's Fucking awful. <laughs> International embarrassment. Also like, I mean... Uh, you know, it's a, I suppose a bit of a contentious issue. I was watching it with my family at one point because I couldn't get my fucking computer working. It had a whole yeah. minute delay. So I watched it with my family and my mum commented like, they're fucking booing the Italians so fucking hard that like you couldn't tell. And as soon as it went onto that side of their side of the pitch, it was just like, boo, the whole fucking way. It was really just like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. You can, we can be better. Yeah. And we no. can enjoy the game and celebrate all these amazing athletes. And they're fucking great. They're great. They're really fucking good. Yeah. And we've got a particularly good team this year. Yeah. And like they're good people, great fucking players. We got all the way to the final. We haven't got to we haven't got to a big tournament final since before Jimi Hendrix was releasing music. D- okay. That's how long it's been. Wow. All right. So whatever you fucking say about them, because they fucked up a couple of penalties. Fuck anyway. Also, it's drives a me game. Mad. It's it a, is a fucking, fucking game, game you, know? you guys. I understand that for them, it's their career. I don't mind yeah. that someone cries when they lose a match when it is literally yeah. your whole career. But at the end of the day, it's a form of entertainment. It's got no, yeah. it's got, doesn't have, it should not have this big of an impact on you. And pe- your mm. wives and children should not be frightened of their parents coming home drunk and angry. Oh my God, th- okay. It's so fucked you'll up. Know, you'll, I'm sure you'd have shared the same thing, but yeah, there's yeah. this whole thing at the moment, this conversation about domestic violence around football tournaments, because basically guys are getting ratted going home kicking the shit out of their wives and it's fucking disgraceful and it doesn't even matter if they win or lose i mean i mean if they lose it's worse generally but if they win or lose there's it's i don't know it's just fucking bad so you can celebrate being fucking like I, i remember the paralympics um a few years back was a big thing in my household we were so fucking interested in these people who they, you know, they they were just f- so fucking good at what they were doing. You know, you can celebrate these big sporting achievements for the country and have a little bit of, you know, hey, isn't that yeah, good a that bit we're banter, doing well? A little bit of a laugh, but, but that's where it stops. Hell. Bloody hell. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah, so a bit of that, bit of that, bit of, um, been writing some more songs recently. I'm really excited about that. But I think today we've got a whole different subject in mind. We've got Amber. loads going on talk today. Talk us through. Talk us through. So, um, at the moment, we, we've got a kind of theme running where we're trying to promote all the arts coming back uh, after the lockdown. We've got Camden Fringe happening this summer. We've got, you know, the creative world opening up a little bit again. And that's basically what we're wanting to celebrate as much as possible at the moment. Uh, so part of today's episode is an interview that I had with stand-up comedian Jim Daly. So should we head over to listening to that now? Boom, let's go for it. Let's do it. Have fun, you guys. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to um, our first guest episode in quite a while, actually. We have got stand-up comedian Jim Daly here. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I'm really good. Um, Getting close to the end of term, and we were just saying my day jobs with children. So I've realised I want to look back at all my teachers from primary school and be like, you wanted the summer more than I did, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think actually... The older you get, the more you realise that people that do stuff like that, like teaching, they're absolute heroes. Like I think you never oh, appreciated as a kid, but actually you yeah. think, oh, how did you put up with us? How did you yeah. just not want to quit like by Tuesday? Like it's just, yeah, amazing. Do you know what's interesting? I find it's the other way around. I'm one of those people where the time with the kids makes me like so happy. And when they like, when they like sing a solo for the first time, I go home like I'm so proud of them. <laughs> but like when I have to write feedback forms or take... Oh. You know the bureau- the bureaucracy yeah. side of teaching yeah. is hell on earth. My wife has just had to do over a hundred reviews or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, to, yeah and it's yeah, not not fun. It's painful. Yeah. It's pa- anyway, let's get to the most important part first because I do have a habit of going off on one. <laughs> so you are here to talk about your show this summer. Let's start there. Give us a bit of a, a lowdown. Well, so it's uh, the current working title was the very much imaginative work in progress uh, because it is a work in progress show. As you know, there's a couple. There's a couple of potential titles. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, set the, the head and chickens, and it's currently called Jim Daly Work in Progress, and it's about uh, becoming a dad, uh, which I did almost two years ago. Becoming uh, being a dad in lockdown. Um, my love of football. Um, it didn't start off like that, but football sort of worked its way in while writing. Um, and actually how the love of football has helped me actually with my parenting journey. And also uh, the, the parenting inspiration of former Ireland international Tony Cascarino, um, which is a very random tangent, but it does make sense in the show. I think. I've only done it I mean, so we love a tangent here. So <laughs> anyone listening is listening because they love the way that we just talk about <laughs> random shite. Um, so the, it's your target audience, quite frankly. Ideal. That's I- ideal. I wouldn't I wouldn't personally expect football and parenting to be part of the same conversation. There's a lot of there's a lot of overlap, to be honest. There's a lot of overlap. Um I don't know if any of any of it actually really makes sense, but in my head there's a lot of overlap. I, I feel at times like I am sort of like an assistant manager and my wife is the main manager and I'm just sort of there on the sidelines, just like backing her up whenever she she says anything to my daughter or just providing right. the water bottles, that kind of thing. Um So you 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 compare having a child to managing a football team? It is. It is in right, a way like managing a football you. team. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, um, you're trying to get them to do the things you want to. You're trying to get to the end goal of the day, which is basically get them into bed or, you know, get them yeah. to have dinner. Um, and they very often don't want to. It's also a little bit like sort of being in charge of a drunk celebrity, I find as well, especially when they're around about <laughs> walking, trying to like point them in the right direction uh, without getting yeah. into too much trouble. Um, it's, no, it's been, it's been a wild journey being a dad. Uh, but this is my first ever solo show. So I, 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 and I've been on the circuit almost 10 years. But yeah. I just wanted to wait for a time that I had something to write about or something that was real. And then having a, a kid just seemed like the right time to do it. So so what have you been doing for the last 10 years, if not stand-up shows or solo shows? Um, just just basically being on the circuit. I've done a couple of shared shows at Edinburgh and, and Camden Fringe before um, where I do a football show, which I'm also doing at Camden Fringe, which I probably should have told you about actually on the 14th. Oh, bring um, it in. Why not? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I kind of completely forgotten I was doing that. So that is with a mate of mine called Dave Bibby. He's a very experienced comedian and presenter and and uh, sketch performer as well. That's called Jim and Dave have lost the dressing room, which we thought was a catchy title in hindsight, a bit too long. Um, and that's the best, basically us mucking around playing playing football games and doing football jokes. And we took that to Edinburgh two years ago, obviously not last year, um, and did a couple of weeks there, which is loads of fun. So so in 2019, 2019, yeah, I was last in Edinburgh in 2018. Would have missed each other. Ah, I don't, yeah, what you know was what? your venue? It was Ciao Italia or Ciao Bella, which is Ciao Italia, Ooh. I think, which is an Italian restaurant that's on. I was going to say, oh, is it North the one Bridge. with like the back room? No, it's a downstairs it's a, room. It's a bit off the beaten track. No, it's on it's on Northbridge. Oh, okay. Is it Northbridge when you come off? It's um. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I know Northbridge. It's uh, yeah. yeah, it's quite close to Central. Yeah, it had a little downstairs room, incredibly hot. Oh my god, like it's so sweaty. Really? Um, but perfectly nice. Very nice lads that run the restaurant as well, which used to give us sort of bits of free food after, which was very nice. Didn't need to do that. Um, Have you ever had it when you're doing a show and for whatever reason you look into the audience and you can just see a load of hands and yeah, programs being used to fan them? That's exactly yeah. what it was. And we had fans around the outside anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, our show is quite loud. Lots of musical comedy. So we got away with it. But yeah, um, yeah it was 
Yeah, if you can find a venue in Edinburgh that's like central and and cool, then you've you've smashed it. I think. I mean, know. yeah, but the the price. Well, I, yeah. I shudder to think. Yeah. So how did you get into comedy? You said 10 years. What happened? Did it start off at uni? Was it? No, I got into comedy late because I'm 37 now. So I was, yeah, 27 when I did my first gig. I got in way, I I think I got in too late. I wish I'd got into it five, six years earlier. I just, it wasn't really something that was ever on my, um, on my radar. Although I look back now and realise actually I I did like mucking around, especially at school and like my jobs. I was a journalist for a bit, so I was always Ooh. the one that was mucking around. So actually, I think, oh, it probably was in me, but I never really thought about it. I was working at a job as a football reporter, and I started up writing parody football songs and uploaded them to YouTube. And I then decided, decided, oh, I might try that on stage. So I wrote a couple of songs for, like, just, like, open mic nights and tried them on yeah. stage. And they went okay. In fact, I, actually, no, my first gig was like, a complete disaster. Um, but... Well, it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to do your first gig, and it goes really well. That's not fair on anyone. Well, yeah, the number of people I've heard that it does, though... And that they have a good gig, and then that that gives them a false hope of what the comedy circuit is like. I think I had yeah. I had it the other way around. I had such a bad gig; it was almost like. And if actually for the next two years or so, I never had a gig that bad. So it was like I started right. so low that everything after that was like was fine. Um, this is an improvement. Yeah, this is an improvement. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. It was just basically it was. I don't know if you've ever done this gig. It was a one called um, Pear Shaped at the Fitzroy Tavern in Tottenham Court Road. No. I don't know if it's still going. It was, it was quite like uh, been going for years. Um, it was Crystal Brian and Crystal that run it. It was sort of quite a funny double act. And they had a headliner who was doing a fir- closing the first half and then going off to another gig, as people sort of do, like doubling up. Uh, it was Robert White. Do you know Robert White? He was on Britain's Got Talent. It very Ooh. camp, plays the piano, really good, like incredibly talented. But okay. he started doing a song about one of the other promoters on the night. I can't remember his name. Not Brian and Crystal, who was like known as being like a bit of an ass. Started doing this song about him, and then the guy was like taking offence, going, "Ah, oh, you can can I swear on this podcast?" Yes, you can. Yeah, oh, go for fuck it. Fuck off, mate. Fuck off. And and and, and Robert's going, I can't remember. I think it was like Steve. Steve is a cunt. Steve is a cunt. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> and then, and everyone in the audience is like, "This is great." They're doing a little pre-rehearsed bit, and after a minute, we realised, "Oh no, it's not a pre-rehearsed bit." They, they, he just really hate. They hate each other. This and is it just got, kicking off. Yeah, yeah, it got really awkward to the point where he was like, well, "Get out of my club!" Packed up his keyboard, left. And because they finished early and I was supposed to like start the first, uh, open the second half, they went, right, and now for his first ever gig, please welcome Jim Daly. <laughs> and you just walk on stage like, please don't kill me. <laughs> it was the coldest room I've ever performed to. Oh, <laughs> and man. two of my mates, Andy and Jack, had come and they were just like sat at the back hiding behind a table. Uh, poor lads, it must have been so excruciating. And so I did my, my little set that I'd rehearsed in my bedroom for hours. And to absolute silence. I don't think I got one laugh. It was just horrendous. Painful. But something made me go back. I don't know what it was. Maybe I'm like a sucker for pain. I don't know. Something made me go back. I mean, yeah, at least because I'm an actor and at least when I'm acting, the audience aren't really supposed to do that much. (laughs) They can love it or hate it, but they have to sit there and they have to listen or they can walk out. Which (laughs) So even when I've done awful shows, they've still kind of just had to politely sit there in silence. (laughs) It's not like I'm waiting for the laugh that never comes. That's like a whole other thing. So what is your muggle job? My muggle job. Um, yeah, that's what I call them. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, yeah, so I do, I sort of, I do podcasts, sort of. So, ba- sort okay, of. basically, I'll, I'll give you uh, a sort of the overview. My wife and I live with my, her, my mother-in-law, her mum, and we're currently not paying mortgage, but we are going to have the house. She's very kindly putting the house into our name. And then we're t- getting a mortgage out to do extensions on the house. So I, I've landed on my feet, or we both have, okay. unbelievably. So it's taken yeah. massively taken the pressure off to do full time work. So I was I was a journalist. That was my job, and I was doing football journalism, and then and then freelancing and trying to wind that down. And I pick up the sort of comedy stuff, and that's been going on yeah. for about six years. Um, but I've been able to really wind stuff down recently, and really try and concentrate on. I mean, stand ups obviously not been happening recently, but sketch stuff, writing that yep. kind of thing. But I also have done a couple of podcasts on the side for a long time, and I've been able to make them. Before lockdown, but actually during lockdown as well, make them pay as well. So they've become sort of my main income. That's my dream. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for the for my podcasting to like replace my day job. Yeah, but it takes time. It's a slow burn. Well, the one, the one, the main income one is a Crystal Palace podcast, and um, uh, as in the team, not the area. Although one about the area would be very good. Um, but and that's been going for twelve years. So that's taken right. a lot, and only in the last eighteen months, really, or two years, has that become sustainable. So it's wow. taken a long time. Um, but yeah, it, it is possible, I guess, 
depends on on your audience i guess it's hard like making anything content wise online is it's such a like a saturated market like it's really hard but uh, my, my theory is and same with stand-up bearing in mind i've been doing it 10 years and just doing my first solo show is is it, it's just <laughs> persistence honestly that is my one skill like just be persistent and you will, yeah, totally you will get agree. there eventually things will happen if you give up things won't happen but if you if you're someone told me to stubbornly do what you love yeah. and i just think that's yeah. a really good way of putting it like no i'm not going fucking yeah. anywhere exactly. do you know how many exactly. people during the lockdown you should remember the whole the whole viable argument was like oh this ballerina could retrain and yeah. become a nurse yeah. i was like i actually remember putting online i was like no offense this is not the first time someone has told me not to pursue a creative career and told me i could do any the people used to be like you could do whatever you want and i'd be like yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. this is what i this want, is what I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so that's the whole point so yeah i stubbornly keep going but that whole argument about uh, you um is this viable and stuff was such bullshit because even outside pandemic my, my wife is a is a musical theater actress even like jobs in the west end are so badly paid a lot of those people have yeah, to have yeah. jobs on the side anyway so you're, you're telling Absolutely. people that already do stuff to keep themselves side hustles that you could do oh this job isn't viable it barely isn't anyway in the in the good yeah. times so but that's not why we do it we do it because this is what we love and we persist and if you persist you know it can happen and you so you're a comedian and your wife is a west end performer what's she been in uh nothing in the west end <laughs> oh okay um she is uh, a trained musical theater actress um and she hasn't been anything for a while did an advert at the start of the year for grays so that was a that was a paying job oh. that came in that was oh nice. i love a cheeky advert oh, yeah. it just takes such a weight off doesn't it massively oh. that num, was num, so num, num, well num. timed it was so Ooh. well timed at the start of the year i for her uh, <laughs> i've only started recently doing advert castings and uh because i only got my first agent 18 months ago Right. So I'm a very slow burn, incredibly slow burn. Um, yeah. And I, I'm yet to book an advert. I've been, I've had a, quite a few pencils and recalls, but um, nothing booked yet. Which puts you in the weird position of seeing that advert when it comes up on TV and thinking, oh, that's the, oh, that's the thing I was supposed to get. No, oh, he's done it terribly. I could have done it better. Um, so I'm actually very, very good at completely forgetting what I've applied for once I know it's gone. <laughs> so I very rarely have that moment of that could have been me. I just kind of go, oh, no, no, but, but like I had. And I, my only like, it wasn't even commercial, but kind of advert level casting. Some adverts guys pay in the thousands. Yeah. Uh, this one didn't. Yeah. But it paid. It paid a good money, and and I made a lot for one day's filming. Yeah. And then it takes a while for the money to arrive in your account. So by the time it does arrive, it just feels like free money. Mm. And I was yeah. so excited and I really was quite skint at the time. And I like went to my family's house and got a massive takeaway for them all. <laughs> and I was like, I've discovered this thing called um, a disposable income. <laughs> my dad just laughed because he works in IT. So he's like, fine. <laughs> but so, that's, but that's, a th that's the other thing as well is um, about sort of doing uh, what we do or in terms of per persisting and sort of not, because I think I pretty much think maybe once a day about giving up and doing a normal job and getting a full time job in an office. Or something. I know that I would hate it and I would become an this incredibly miserable I person. Just, and I'm yeah. quite, often quite miserable to live with anyway. So I, I would just be unbearable. But it's amazing how the more you persist and if actually the more you say no to stuff, because I've tried really to say, to say no to stuff, stuff then pops up. So I tried during the summer because of the Euros. I was like, I'm going to try and clear my diary. I got my podcast. If gigs come in and they're well paid, great. Uh, but I'm going to clear my diary. I'm going to say no to stuff and see what happens. And I had two really well-paid TV filming jobs come in like almost instantly. And it's, a, it's we just had an episode about this topic literally a couple of weeks ago called "Taking the Knocks," and we talked about the power of saying no to things because if you say no to the bad work, you are opening up room in your life for the good stuff. Exactly. Whereas a lot of people tend to think, oh, but if I don't say yes, then I'm saying yes to anything else. And it's like, no, you're not. You're you're setting boundaries and you're setting a standard for how you want the industry to treat you. Personally, I will never do a cruise job. They pay so well. And I know a lot of, especially musical theatre trained actors yeah. that kind of brag about cruise work. But I just don't want to. I, I don't want to be put on a boat in the middle of nowhere. You know, I would much rather be here doing my podcast and doing fringe theatre and and enjoying the scene of it all yeah. than be just on a boat doing Mamma Mia every night. I just, but bleh, that's, just but doesn't that's appeal to me. being true to yourself. We all know deep down in our gut, like what we what we want to do, what we would do, what we feel yeah. comfortable doing. Like I, I yeah. basically applied every few months. I go back to my journal contacts. And be like, oh, is there any freelance work or any shift work? And I, I emailed one guy and he was like, yeah, yeah, but during the Euros, could you do like three days a week? And it was like really badly paid. And I was like, oh. part of me was like, 
And then I was, like, I was like, do I actually need this money? Like, do I, am I desperate for this money to the point to do this job? And I was like, do you know what? I, it, it would help, but I can get by. So I'll just say no. Yeah. And then these other two jobs came in like, the next day. Like, it's just, the yeah. world works in a funny way, I think. But There's a weird power behind there it. There is, yeah. So one thing I love asking, um, it's because a big part of our podcast is, you know, the everyday life of these jobs. Do you have some pet peeves? Where it could be a venue manager, it could be, I don't know, I, I, I love stand-up comedy. I watch, we could talk for hours, I watch all the UK stand-up comics, like genuinely I do. Um, but I don't actually know about what it's like doing the job. So what are some little pet peeves that you could go on whinge about? Uh, well, first of all, it's very different doing the circuit than it is to what you see on TV and the yeah. arena stuff. Like it's, it's a very different one. I know so many comics from the circuit who will never progress to TV are more are definitely good enough, but they're just sort of stuck in that world. And they're very good at what they do. And they make a good living and they're out every night of the week driving to Bristol and Glasgow and yeah. Leicester or whatever. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not as glamorous as you see on TV. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a grift. It's a really, really hard job and fair mm. play. I don't gig that often. I sort of, um, I'm very bad at applying for gigs because you still need, even if you have an agent and a booker, you still got to apply and get gigs. And so I sort of wait for them to come in, which is incredibly lazy and I need to get better at that. But my, my pet peeves, I mean, firstly, any gig that's, I would say, further than about 20 miles from my house because that's just, <laughs> that's your whole day gone. I did one in Western Superman the other day and it was my first live gig back actually for after lockdown. And it was a fantastic gig, really nice venue, lovely promoter, brilliant lineup with a couple of like really up and coming people. And it was brilliant, but it took me four and a half hours to get there. And it was one of the worst journeys of my life. I just timed it so badly with the traffic. I have to text the promoter every half an hour. I'd be like, I'm going to be another half an hour. I'm another half an hour. Sorry, can we start the show late? Sorry, can we like, can you like keep feeding them or something? It was so, yeah, and, I, and I was MC, so I couldn't get, couldn't get there late. No. In the end, we started about 45 minutes late and the, the audience were brilliant and it all went fine. But that, yeah, traveling to gigs. If every gig was like within a 20 mile radius of my house, I'd be the happiest stand up in the world. <laughs> so happy. But it's, um, yeah, that, that part, but that part of it is, is the unglamorous side of stand up, unfortunately. Yeah. MCing is a tough job. It's very, I'm always very impressed by a good, a good host, especially on a comedy night, because you have to go on literally after every comedian. So however good they are, you have to kind of match their energy. Well, it's interesting. I, 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 I've only really started emceeing recently. I really enjoy doing it. And I think, and I hope, and this is a rare moment of um, self-promotion for me, but I think I have quite a good personality for it because I think I'm quite friendly, approachable. I'm not in your face. I'm just like, oh, here's a nice guy keeping the, the show ticking along. So I think it actually sort of works for me. And also my theory is you don't, <laughs> and this is also good for me, you don't have to be too funny. You don't want to be the funniest guy on the bill as the MC. You want the act to be, you want the opener and the closer to be the funniest people. Mm. So you're there to just keep things going along. Yes, you've got to be sharp and you've got to like talk back to people and stuff, but always in a friendly way. And it's really fun. And actually, if you get a good audience, which we did the other night, that are with you, you can just crack on. And there's, there's actually, I feel like there's less pressure than, than being like oh. the closer or the opener. Um, but I, yeah, I really enjoy uh, doing MCing and I would like to do more if anyone's listening that has got a night running <laughs> book me please to MC because um, it is a lot of fun and you, and also you can sort of test stuff it's really good for testing new material because if you're chatting to the audience it's going well oh I'll slip in a little two minute bit here I'm working on and actually this this comment from this years ago I can't remember who it was but as an MC if someone's done really well or really badly you're not there to go on and then smash it you're there to reset the room so you're just there to take That's from the a high really good way of back down it. to them, get them ready. Yeah. Or if they're low, just yeah. bring them back up again and just make them bring feel them comfortable up. enough again with the show happening. You're not the star. It's a bit like, bring it back to football, being the referee. Like if you notice the ref during a game, they've had a shocker, right? They've had a sh yeah. But if you don't notice them, then the game's flowed and, and everyone's had a good time. I kind of say with mm. MC, if you don't notice them, I think actually they've kept things ticking along so that's my theory anyway and i am available to mc gigs within a 20 <laughs> mile radius of my house <laughs> um if you could pick where would you if you could pick one place to do your own stand-up gig where would it be venue wise venue wise i yeah. mean there's so many venues that i really want that i haven't quite got to the level yet performing like, i'd love to do comedia in brighton it seems like a fantastic venue um i wouldn't mind doing some of the glee clubs um you know cardiff and bristol and other ones um I'm not quite ready yet for the really big venues. I mean, I'd love to be at some point, but that is a journey. And I, yeah. my, my problem is I took time out. I took about two or three years off the circuit around 2015, 2016, when I, was, when I really should have plowed on. And I was just, I'd been doing, 
comedy three or four years and I was just getting to that time and I got I really got very bored of my material and I, I found it really hard to write new stuff and I just sort of stagnated so I took time off to do other stuff I presented a tv a football show for a bit and worked some, did some sketch stuff so I was still like in the game but I wasn't mm. doing stand-up and then when I came back to stand-up probably late 2018 and I got my agent about a year later or maybe even 2019 <laughs> I was back at square one, almost back at square one again. I was just had to start again. So I had to go, st- go yeah. and do open mic stuff again, which was just like, just demoralizing. Um, there's literally about three or four good open mic nights in London and that's it. Like it is, it is really painful. Um, so I sort of, I reckon if I'd, if I'd have kept going, I'd probably be in a better place now. But, you know, that's, that's your journey and that's life and that's where it is. And exactly. we still persist. So that's just the way it is. But there's a lot of venues at that next level up from what I do at the moment that I would love to perform at. Um, yeah, Comedia seems like such a... I mean, everyone seems to have such a good time down there. Do you know, that's just made me think, this will be my last question because I'm aware of time, but um, last week uh, we discussed on, on Riffs and Scripts how people can support independent work, especially after the lockdown. So we talked about... That's why we're doing all this Camden Fringe stuff yeah. for theatre makers and, and we went into how you can help bands like progress and support them. What can What can the average Joe do to help comedians keep the work going after the lockdown? How can, how can the audiences help, help comedians? That's a really, really good question. And it's really timely as well, because a lot of people obviously lost their work for the last 18 months. I exactly. was lucky enough to have my other bits and bobs and keep going, but a lot of people who depended on literally gigging five times a week, that all went. And I know a lot of those people, and, and I know some of them had to go and then work in Amazon warehouses and stuff like that yeah. to make things work. And my hat goes out goes out my hat goes out to them that's a weird <laughs> <laughs> i throw it out the window to them catch yeah. my hat um my, my hat my heart goes out and my hat goes off and your hat goes off because, yeah i'm with you <laughs> because they uh my heart goes off would be weird anyway um yeah so i would say if you could if you like live comedy or even if you like a certain comedian go and see their shows um you know even if they're unpaid shows i don't know if people really do this in london outside of fringe stuff but like if people are shaking a bucket at the end stick a fiver in stick a tenner in like if you yeah. can afford it a lot of comedians have transitioned now onto twitch and so go and watch their twitch streams where you can donate on there as well i think a lot of them have coffee websites or you know, kofi.com that okay. one where you can tip people three quid for a coffee and stuff there are ways to support them and most comedians if you if you check out their twitter handles or instagram handles will have a link to say support me help me this this kind of you know whatever listen to their podcast because then they will get ad revenue from that or they'll yeah. probably get bigger and they'll be able to sell live read ads and stuff like if a comedian is making if a comedian is doing live stuff at the moment they are undoubtedly making content online because that is basically what we all have to do to get seen these days so watch their stuff tip them if you can support them retweet tell your friends you know support in the ways you would do normally but just um even to be honest going to a show and laughing or send sending a tweet afterwards that says i loved that show honestly it's such a boost sometimes it, it, it means makes the world doesn't it really it? Yeah. does and it it's such a simple thing to do. So I'm trying to get better at doing that with, with friends and stuff in the industry because I'm very much someone that like will scroll past and be like, oh, nice one. But I'm trying to stop now and be like, this is great. Love this or keep it up. You know, mm. good to see you smashing it, bro. That kind of stuff. Because it all, honestly, we are fragile beings and it all, it all really helps. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. This, I feel, feel like that was a great chat. Thank uh, you. Where can people find you online if they wanted to? So I, I've managed to somehow get the same handle for everything. Um, for tic- for oh, I started TikTok. Oh, my God. I'm so too old for TikTok, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't plunged into TikTok yet. <laughs> it's really addictive. It's on my list. Oh, my God. It's so but... addictive. So I've managed to get 8,000 followers in a, in a couple of weeks. So um, wow. it's But just by doing silly football stuff. So anyway, that's, yeah. Anyway, my handle is at Jim Daly Comedy and Daly is D-A-L-Y, the Irish version uh, of uh, of the name. And actually, that'd be O'Daly, wouldn't it? Anyway, Jim Daly, (laughs) D-A-L-Y Comedy. Um, And I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all those kind of places, really. So do check me out. And I feel like I haven't actually said when the show is I'm doing a can of fringe. I'm so bad at promotion. I am so bad at self-promotion, honestly. Um, so my show is called Jim Daly Work in Progress. Oh, I didn't tell you what the other names are. I'll tell you in a minute. Um, and it's at, the, it's at the Hen and Chickens Theatre in Islington, which is a fantastic venue. I love performed there. We've talked about it on the podcast before. So good. And the people venue. that run it, yeah. the people that run it are the best. Like, honestly. Aren't they hilarious? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Mark makes me laugh a lot. Um, it is, it's their dream. Is to... Mark his name? Yeah. Is, it, is this the really camp guy yes. with glasses? Yes. Mark, his name's Mark, you guys. I told a story about him ages ago. He's great. Oh. And I know someone, a friend of mine called Julian, who's a Palace fan and works in theatre. Turns out he knows Mark from back in the day. So um, 
Yeah, Mark is uh, well known and uh, the loveliest guy, and uh, lots oh, of fun hilarious. when you're teching and stuff. He is there, keeps you on yeah. your toes. So I I did a show at Hen and Chickens when I did my first Camden show, uh, the the football show I did with Dave back in 2016. So that's how I got to know that venue, and I just stayed in contact. They're just so great to deal with, and I'm very much someone that can't be asked with the admin. So if I find a good venue, I just thought I'm just going to perform there again, like, rather than trying to find anywhere else. <laughs> and so it's at Hen and Chickens, and it's on Thursday the fifth or the fourth, Thursday the. F- Fifth, I think, of August. <laughs> first, first Thursday in August. I'll have to look at my phone. Um, at nine p.m. So I've got the 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 late slot. Actually, it's not. There's a there's a later one. Actually. It's the fifth. The Thursday's the fifth. Um, at nine p.m. And tickets are available at jimdailycomedy.com forward slash gigs. Um, so please do come along if you're free then, and you want to hear a show about a man in his late thirties trying to deal with uh becoming a father uh and uh using football and Tony Cascarino uh to try and <laughs> deal with it. And it's work in progress as well. So it's very much I'm open to feedback. I did I did I did it twice in Brighton a couple of weeks ago for the first time and it was really it went went well thankfully and it's really nice to hear people afterwards say, loved this bit or oh, you could try this. Uh you know, that yeah. bit was great. I, I'm really open for that kind of stuff because my plan with this show is try and take it to Edinburgh 2022 but in the meantime do all the festivals next year to really work on it um and yeah. then take it to Edinburgh for next year so I've got a real sort of plan for it and I want it to become as good as possible Brilliant. next year so so that is me yeah please do come and help out thanks so much Jim let's call it there but um thanks so much for coming on thanks for having me So there you have it, a lovely interview with the one and only Jim Daly. Um, Thank you, Jim. Yeah, it was a great chat. Do you know what was really nice? After we finished um, recording, he said to me, he was like, um, you know, you're really easy to talk to. And I was Aww. like, oh, that's so sweet. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Thank fuck for that for me, because, you know, otherwise the podcast would be shit. The podcast would just be you sat <laughs> swearing at four walls. I know. Like, Fucking prick. Me- it would just be me having opinions and speaking in four-letter words. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um i mean to be fair about 50 percent of it is currently that for sure so we're gonna run with the theme of comedy since we had jim on today i've got a couple other comedy style shows to to promote for people but Boom. before we go into that cole you prepped a load of stuff to chat about yeah i i wanted to just talk about comedy and music as as you know comedy is a huge part of my life i think i've talked to you before i wanted to be a stand-up comedian when i was um in my teens actually an an actor or a stand-up comedian one of those two and then i kind of just found music and ran with it um and uh yeah it's a huge thing to me and i like bands that are able to express themselves express their personality through using comedy and music that sounds a bit weird it can be a quite contentious subject i'm a huge fan of the darkness as you know and they were a bit of a contentious band at the time because you know the pop world sort of embraced them in a way because you know it was a kind of gimmick and it was a kind of funny thing the rock world um had this really mixed reaction to to the darkness when they came through in 2003 was their first album and you know a lot of people were like this is great they're taking all these kind of awesome rock elements and they're doing poppy enough choruses and a kind of vocal that's unusual and yeah a bit silly and a bit funny but also a really good vocal you know and they're doing something interesting with rock music that hasn't really been done before in the same way. And then you've got the other half of the rock community that are like, you're a bunch of bastards, you're taking the piss out of what we're doing. Those people are wrong, I'm just <laughs> saying. Saying that right now. Again, you're coming to riffs and scripts for the correct opinions. That's the correct one. Um, to me... To me... <laughs> That's why you're here. Yeah. No, I, listen, listen, The Darkness are a really good band. I, I, totally, I totally get why people don't like The Darkness. Um, you're not emphatically wrong. Uh, yeah, that's a joke. That's hyperbole. But um, what they did was decide to be a really great rock band and they had this ridiculous sense of humour to everything that they did. Yeah. Not not absolutely everything. You know, there's a lot of serious stuff that The Darkness talk about um, and often they use humour to mask the fact that they're talking about, for example, Justin Hawkins' problem with drugs. You know, that's a huge theme in the darkness music. There's loads of these songs about him doing coke, you know, and really struggling. And now he's completely sober. He doesn't even drink, you know. Um, And that's kind of a British thing. We use self-deprecating humour um, uh, in order to talk about things that maybe we don't feel as comfortable about. So I really like that. And I really like the darkness. I think there are really fucking good hooks. I think the last two albums are really bloody good as well. Um, in fact, maybe the last three. I'm running out of how many they've done, but they've done some really good music. Check it out. 
and they have a bit of a sense of humour, and I like that. Another band I wanted to talk about that I'm listening to a lot recently are Don Broco. I think Don Broco are fucking brilliant. I don't know um, Don Broco. And this is new to me. Don I know Broco, the darkness. Obviously. Oh my god! Okay, I'm going to send you some Don Broco. Go I have a feeling it. it'd be right up your your street. They're not like the darkness in that they're not like a silly kind of yeah. The darkness are comedic this attitude is, to the This band. is rock, and we're going to do it to a thousand percent. Like we're yeah. That's exactly it. Spaceships We're never going to stop shitting shit. out Solid Gold. Yeah. That's one of my favourite lines that The Darkness did. They did a single called Solid Gold. We're never going to stop shitting out Solid Gold. Fucking great. Don Broker are different. Don Broker are, you know, a serious uh, rock uh, kind of metal band. Um, they've released two singles recently that are fucking brilliant. Uh, I prefer their newer stuff to their older stuff. A lot of people don't let's say that with bands. In fact, that comes up in a song they did called Manchester Super Red Number One Fan, right? They've done a song called Manchester Super Red Number One Fan. That rhythm will come up if you listen to the song, which I will show you later, Amber. Yeah. They did this song about how fans have this weird attitude with musicians where people will creepily follow them and say that they're, oh, you're my like my best friend, you mean so much to me. And yet, on the backhand of it, say horrible, nasty things about them. Oh, I don't like the new stuff. It's shit. Oh, right, blah, blah, blah. And, you yeah. know, they're saying in the song how it's the same people who are like calling people fat on the playground. You know, it's that kind of thing. And uh, Rob Damiani, the lead singer, they kind of split vocal duties with the drummer, who's an, a brilliant singer. And the, the lead singer has uh, a great voice. He's not a high voice, but he's very expressive and quite an aggressive vocal. And I quite like that, splitting these two different things. He did. He came up with this idea of saying Manchester Super Red number one fan because he found a bootleg keychain that was a supporters of Man United, and he realised that there was this similarity between how fans of musicians follow football. You know, fans of football, and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of comes into what we were saying at the start of this episode about football fans. So the thing is, that's quite a serious song, um, and yet you know that tagline. It's just silly. You know, it's a ridiculous tagline. And the music video, I fucking love the music video. It's um, Star Trek, low-budget Star Trek. They're in Star Trek uniforms. What they're trying to do is make a perfect clone of David Beckham. And they've hired a David Beckham lookalike for the music video. And it's about them (laughs) trying to turn him into a clone. And then he goes bad and tries to kill them. It's really fucking good, right? So there's a comedic attitude and, and a kind of... It's expressing their personality, but through, you know, pretty serious music and like an actual serious topic. Another single they released really recently last week is called Gum Shield. They did this really fun thing where they've got a uh, professional boxer um, and they uh, approached him to say, "Okay, our lead singer for the last year, he's been prepping for his pro boxing career. And they were like building up an actual fight between the two of them. And and, everyone, and and they're, like, saying shit about each other on Instagram, and it was fucking great. And then, of course, no, 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 it was the promo for the music video for Gumshield, which is a new track by them, right? And Gumshield's fucking great song. Again, funny music video. Which music video was it? I want to say it was Blink-182, where they just took the budget for the music video and had a great day out and recorded themselves as they went. I don't know. I think it was. It was definitely Blink One Eight Two. I think it was the video for "What's My Age Again," and it's literally they just take they take it out in cash and they just grab a couple of mates and some cameras and just have an absolute blast for the day and spend thousands of dollars. I I, I (laughs) think it's important. I think it's important to do funny music videos. I have. I think I know which one that is. I can't remember, but I've definitely seen that video. you know, uh, they did, uh, Blink-182 did, you know, all the small things. They're running yeah. naked through the fucking town and shit. And, all the um, small things is a hilarious music video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a massive it's Mickey really Take of the Backstreet Boys. I love, uh, I, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, there's there's one by the Beastie Boys, I think. Um, I think it's Sabotage, where they just do, like, 70s cop shows and they're all in wigs and shades and stuff. I fucking love, love it. it. Anyway, Gumshield has this fucking great line. I'm, I'll, 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 I'll tell you the lyrics from the chorus, because it's fucking great. Um, do I have to slam everybody in the room to prove my point? Because I will slam everybody in this room to prove my point. Watch out, kablam, everybody in the room to prove my point. Jean-Claude Van Damme, everybody in the room. It's fucking good. I really relate to that. It's just funny. (laughs) But it's like, that's, that's, it's saying this aggressive thing, you know, but it's also saying it with a sense of humour, you know? So I fucking love that. So that's kind of serious rock bands that have 
they're serious about what they're doing and they're trying to be musicians. They're not trying to be comedians. And you could argue that there's two types of people in this discussion. There's then comedic bands who are also doing music. Now, I don't really subscribe to that exactly because there's kind of a sliding scale there. Because in the middle, you have people like Steel Panther and Diane Wood, who are both fucking great bands, yeah. in my opinion. I think Diane Wood particularly, like, they're so off the wall compared to stuff I usually listen to. But, you know, they have such a sense of humour with their with their music. You know, there's f- the music videos particularly, there's this thing where she's singing, I'm a motherfucking rich bitch, and she's sitting on top of a gold toilet. <laughs> I think it's just fucking hilarious, right? So they're, they're a crazy off-the-wall band. Um, but then another big love in my life is comedians who are musical comedians. So I, yeah. I got into stand-up comedy... Uh, watching Eddie Izzard in I think I the Eddie early two thousands. So I think Eddie Izzard's one of the funniest people. I alive. met him one time. Um, you joke him? Oh, it was one of the best days of my life. Uh, he was campaigning for Labour outside my drama school. Oh yeah, yeah, because he's yeah he got into politics, didn't he? And or um, she or whoever, however, because because uh, yeah. Eddie's famously gender fluid now. I think. Well, yeah, we'll go with they. I think that's the most respectful. But they were oh, yeah, they yeah. were looking gorgeous in this tailored black suit but with a red Labour badge and huge fuck-off stripper red yeah, heels. love it. And I was like, I don't want to interrupt and get, ask for a picture and be that guy. But then someone else did, so I was like, okay, I get to now. So I was like, can I have a picture? And Eddie took my camera phone, took like five selfies with me, and then just handed it back and went, keep the best one. What a <laughs> legend. What a fucking legend. I love Eddie Izzard. I think, it, like, so I, I watched, like, Dress to Kill and Glorious first those two shows and there was unrepeatable dress to kill is one of the best comedy yeah. shows in history absolutely i, absolutely. I didn't know i didn't know you liked eddie izzard because i because love that, that, eddie I, izzard. i've never i've never come that close to crying laughing and the first time that happened was watching eddie izzard um and it was either glorious or dress to kill i can't remember which one oh, and actually i've watched all the way through and eddie Izzard's just fucking hilarious and that was my introduction to stand-up comedy it was also my introduction to the world of trans people and the world of kind of the Gender LGBTQ. fluidity and yeah, the spectrum yeah. of whatever because yeah. Um, now the terminology wasn't the same back then, no, so uh, Ed- Eddie Izzard used the term transvestite a lot. I think Eddie would probably still use the term transvestite, um, but um, Eddie is a trans person yeah. and identifies as that in the media, you know. Um, and I think that actually did a lot to kind of shape my opinions on who people are, and because I was seeing someone who's just a funny person, yeah, and, and that's it's, what it's, it, it, yeah, the, the nature of uh, the prejudice against trans people really, you know, is, it comes from a lot of things, not recognizing that other people are people, you yeah. know. Eddie Izzard is a really beautiful example of of self discovery because I remember being a massive fan, and when and Eddie used to say, "No, no, no, I I fancy women. Think of me mm. as like a tomboy, but instead of being a girl who likes wearing." jeans yeah. and shirts i'm i'm a guy who likes wearing dresses and still fancies women yeah, yeah. that's changed now but that's okay people like yeah, yeah. self-discovery is a lifelong journey mm. and i think yeah. that it's really been beautiful watching eddie as i'd like go through these stages and openly and quite unapologetically share them with the world and yeah oh what a legend so um, Eddie Izzard was my first introduction to the world of stand-up comedy, and then I discovered all these musical comedians. Yeah. So the wonderful thing about uh, musical comedians is, it, in its way, it shares its DNA with vaudeville performers of like the 1900s and 1910s, um, which has a special connection to me, which I don't know if I've discussed with you before, but my great-grandfather was a trick violinist and trick cyclist, unicyclist, so uh, on, on vaudeville, and performed all over the world, um, and was from New York and uh, had my grandfather, who was born in New York originally and moved over to Britain when he was very, very young. Um, but it's a nice little thing between me and you because it's where there's a bit of an intersection of worlds because yeah, sure. really these are very closely related. Um, so I discovered then people like Bill Bailey. I was and waiting Tim for Minchin. Bill Bailey to come up. Yep. I love Tim um, Minchin. Bo those Burnham. are some of my favourite ones. There's there's so many more um, kind of musical comedians. So you've also got obviously Flight of the Concords. I fucking love them. Um, oh god, there's so many at the moment. I, and there's also other things, a phenomenon of British comedians who then take to music, like Armstrong and Miller, who in yeah. the 2000s were doing really funny stuff. I'll talk about them in a minute. But um, something that my dad introduced me to two two different acts. One is Tom Lehrer. I don't know if you know who Tom Lehrer is. Nope. Tom Lehrer is one of the funniest and cleverest musicians you'll ever come across. Uh, I'll spell that out for you. Tom, T-O-M, Lyra, L-E-H-R-E-R. And 
Tom Lehrer is an American comedian, probably most famous for doing the Elements song. So he lists all of the elements on the periodic table according to um, uh, what's the song? Uh, the HMS Pentafor. Uh, I am the very model of a modern. Yeah, the the Pentafor. Pentafor. Oh no, whatever the fuck I know, I'm talking I know. about. It's all good. Um, but also did. Uh, all the world is in tune on a spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. You know, these Don't fucking know. wonderful yeah. songs, right? Really funny, brilliant songs. And he does a song uh, called Be Prepared about the, the Cub Scouts and basically telling them to right, wear a condom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that. And um, really, really funny music. And then one of my other things, uh, one of my other favourite kind of comedy acts in music that my dad introduced me to was Flanders and Swan. You might have heard of Flanders and Swan. Um, another old thing from like the fifties, late forties, I think. Uh, and they were famous for doing, um, mud, mud, glorious mud, nothing quite like it for cooling the blood. It's about a, a song about hippos loving mud. Okay? okay. So some of it's quite gentle and some of it's really, really good fucking music. You know, uh, it does, they do one about, um, the laws of thermodynamics, which is fucking hilarious. It taught me loads about the laws of thermodynamics. You know, um, heat right. is work and work is heat and heat is work and work is heat. And one, one of the things I like about that era of musical comedians is that comedy was a lot more gentle yeah. um, back then and still funny to me, you know, still really funny. And it's kind of a sad thing that the nature of media and the nature of kind of globalization of, of comedy and, and, and all kinds of media really has led to music and um, comedy being a lot harsher in outlook a lot of the time, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing. Um, and I love all that kind of music hall stuff. We're lucky to have so many brilliant musical comedians. I'll quickly step on Tim Minchin and Bill, Bill Bailey. Don't step on them. Jesus Christ. Before we, before such we finish legends. Up. I love them so much. I, I've got oh. so many, so many that I could talk about, and so many clever things to do with music. But I'll talk about Tim Minchin. So Tim Minchin is an example of someone who's immensely bright, yeah. a virtue virtuoso on the piano, brilliant singer, um, and is a hilarious, funny person, incredibly smart, and I love it. And he is much more barbed with his with his humour, but I still love it. You know, I'm not against that. Um, what are you, wait, one are you, song? What are you against? What are you not against? I'm not against people being more barbed with their music, a bit more, you know harsher with their comedy you know oh, a bit yeah. more you know i'm not against it i just love this more innocent comedy from, oh yeah no he's quite uh, yeah i you know, see what you past. mean he does things like yeah, if he i didn't be, have you, know, you i would probably have somebody yeah, else. all that stuff oh i love him um i and, love a bit of dark comedy uh, you know personally. the stuff about religion he's done and things yeah. like that but one of my favorite songs by him is f sharp I, I hate that song. That I can't listen to it. Of course it. you hate it that song. You're me. supposed to hate that song because you have a musical ear. That's the point in the song. So people at home you won't uh, necessarily know what we're talking about. He wrote he writes a song about how he loves playing the piano in F major, but na- yeah, in F in F major. But uh, as a singer, his voice naturally sounds really good in F sharp. So he does this thing. I love playing F-sharp. in F major, but I sing in F sharp. <laughs> oh, F sharp, and it, and it's Painful. a semitone out of what it would usually be. So theatre of cruelty it's, at its best. It's so good. There's an example there of a uh, Mozart's um, housekeeper, which this kind of fits into that. Mozart's housekeeper allegedly, when Mozart wouldn't get up in the morning, she would walk up to the piano and play a scale and see going. No, that's that's. And cruel. Mozart would have to be. He'd be so angry. He'd have to get up and go no nah, at the end because he, <laughs> he'd be so tactic. pissed off. The only way to get him up in the morning. Uh, one more comedian, musical comedian. I'll talk about Bill Bailey, um, a brilliant musician, um, an example of someone who's a bit like Tim Minchin in that they're a brilliant virtuoso on the piano, um, but he's a bit more gentle with his music stuff, and he more more taps into. Um, applying funny musical ideas to things. Tim Minchin does that as well. That's the prime example, that F sharp song. But Bill Bailey does wonderful things like um he'll reinterpret classic pop songs with Cockney versions, which yeah. is the best thing in the fucking world. Which is really funny. And it's an example of how you can use music, just the nature of music, to say something really funny without necessarily um, you know, coming up with a witty one liner or something. You no, can just he, use his, music itself. He to is be, like the king of the parody. His musical exactly, parodies yeah. are like fantastic so so good i want to i want to jump in with some comedy theater 
Uh, so Tim Minchin is a nice little connector because he ended up doing the music for Matilda the Musical. Matilda, yeah. And that music is stunning. It's just stunning. And and it all ties in together because Panto has been this big part of um, theatre and especially gender politics within theatre yep. for decades now. So Panto is a space where you... It was like... Not the original, because obviously you had Shakespeare, but it, it was a really big staple in cross-dressing quite literally across the gender spectrum uh so you've got the dame which is usually a man in a dress and you can have women playing princes and stuff um but they've they've incorporated that into matilda the musical and the role of miss trunchbull is played by a man and they do so well to balance them being funny and like scary and atmospheric at the same time. I think that's a whole other topic though, but someone being yeah, scary, yeah, yeah. someone being scary in a musical is tough, but that's, that's yeah. a whole, so like a good example is I saw Oliver Twist live years ago and Bill Sykes has like a song and I feel like it undermines him and it's trying so mm. hard to be like intimidating. And then in the movie, he didn't have a song and I think that's good because his quietness is part of his, mm, his thing. Yeah. But um, moving on to comedy in theatre, recently I watched uh, the Bridge Theatre's production of Midsummer Night's Dream. It is on mm. the National Theatre streaming site now. So if you have a National Theatre account, uh, you can go and watch it. And I had so much fun for so many reasons. Now, again, I don't know why this keeps coming up today, but I like it. Again, they, they swapped around to Tanya and Oberon. So they, um, oh, yeah, yeah. So traditionally, they are the king and queen of the fairies. Ober also, look, for this story, you just have to th treat love potions as a good thing and not as a rapey thing. You just have to, yes, just for this story, yeah, that's always a bit awkward. It's a yeah. comedy, just <laughs> on this one occasion, try and let it go so you can enjoy the farce that comes from it. I'm not saying it's okay to date rape people, I'm saying for this one story, just think of it as magic and that it's a good yep. thing, <laughs> yep. but traditionally. Titania is made to fall in love with a man who's been turned into like yeah. a half donkey and they swapped it. Bottom. So they made it, um, I, well, I don't know if they called Titania male or if they just swapped it directly and had it be Oberon. I couldn't quite tell, but um, mm. I'm rambling. My point is it was good for so many reasons. It added new interpretations. It did a bit of gender swapping, which I am a massive fan of, especially in Shakespeare, because if you look at when Shakespeare was writing Gender roles were so rigid, and I love that mm. they that he fucks them up a little bit, and I think we should do yeah. that forever. Um, mm. the The staging was stunning. Uh, it was like made of beds, so it's because it's the theme of dreams, oh, right? Yeah, and yeah, the fairies yeah, were like aerial dancers and acrobats. So it was beautiful. It was aesthetically beautiful. But one of the funniest Shakespeare performances I have ever watched in my life. They really did well to choose moments to throw in a bit of contemporary speaking. So there's a bit where, so you've got the love square, haven't you? You've got um, Hermia and Lysander want to run off together. Yeah, Demetrius yeah. wants to marry Hermia. Helena wants to marry Demetrius. So there's a bit where Helena is say, is doing the original Shakespeare text saying, I'll be your spaniel. <laughs> like, I'll be your pet. And she's really degrading herself. And the guy, the guy playing Demetrius just kind of goes, what's wrong with you man like they chose perfect little moments mm. to break mm. the shakespeare um illusion and just bring it into the 21st century but the actors playing um the actors playing the actors were phenomenal the actor playing bottom was brilliant their overly dramatic romance my point is i think that sometimes people forget how much fun shakespeare can be because we all take it so seriously. We all had to do Shakespeare in school and Shakespeare is the greatest writer and all. And, you know, look, that's great. But Shakespeare was also a comedy genius at points. Mm. And there's so much potential for comedy in his work. And I love yeah. it when people do a good job at finding it. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention, so we've done um, a bit of Shakespeare and then let's let's bring it back to the West End because you've got one of the most successful comedy musicals is The Book of Mormon. And it was written yeah. by the two guys who wrote South Park, South Park. guys. Yeah, and I just love that. I love because they are they yeah. are fans of musical theater. And yeah, I don't yeah, know if you've are. seen yeah, the yeah. South Park movie, but their use of music in the South Park movie is actually very, very. Oh good. my god! Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 um, tomorrow Blame Canada. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, and there's all this stuff that's uh, directly just like copying bits of uh, Les Misérables and all yeah. this stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, 
But in order to parody something, you need to love it and know it in yeah. a lot of detail. Um, and yeah, and then they did so well writing piss take musicals for South Park. They wrote this huge piss take musical that is so successful. Do you know how hard mm. it was to get tickets? I've still not been. I've been wanting to take my brother to see it for years. Like, and I've I just been wanting to go to see it as well. And I haven't seen it start to finish, but oh my gosh, I've watched like promotional performances at like, great music at like a. I've only seen bits of it, but yeah, stuff. great music. Hilarious music. Hilarious. Mm. And the weird thing is. Because the Mormon culture is so, if nothing else, Mormons are very polite people. Um, they, yeah, yeah. when the musical first dropped, they apparently were like, "Oh no, it's it's great because they're they're spreading our word, even if they are making fun of us a little bit." <laughs> and they'd be waiting outside the theater to talk to people, like, "Oh, if you really want to become a Mormon," and it's like, "Oh, bless." They've just taken I mean, the, one of the piss out of you for two hours, babe. Like I've watched, I've watched quite a bit of South Park, and I I have a, yeah. a you know I have a funny you know you, when you watch anything from any creator, you've got to be like, hmm, well, this is good, and this is yeah, you know, yeah. I do that a lot. They did an episode about Mormonism and a, a group of dum, dum, a dum, family dum, of dum. Mormons. <laughs> dum 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 dum. Yeah, you know the one. And um, the funny thing that I, I say the funny thing, the best thing is they they took so long taking the piss out of them at the end. They were just like, yeah, they're just like a normal family who just believe this stuff. You know, yeah. everyone else believes crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, we all believe something that, that you know, whatever. But they're actually, at the end, they're just a nice family. And, and that's kind of, I thought that was quite interestingly even-handed. You know, they're not stupid people. Matt I Stern love, I love, yeah. Um, if you watch their interviews, it gets really frustrating because everyone asks them the same question, which is, is there anything you that you felt went too far? And every time they're like, no. Because if mm. you if you want to enjoy a program that takes the piss out of people, you've got to be prepared for us to take the piss out of you. Yeah. And like you can't be biased. And they 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 indiscriminately lay yes. into everyone. Lay into everyone. They lay into absolutely everyone. Absolutely. And sometimes I get like, oh, sometimes they like hurt me. But that's my shit, not theirs. And you know. It's interesting that their political uh, ideology has really changed over time has and it? you can see it through the episodes yeah. um there's some things that i'm just like uh yeah no like for instance there are, there are views on climate change you know they started out going oh they were climate change skeptics and then by the end they were just like yeah sorry we were being fucking we were wrong. stupid we were just being you know? dickheads um, yeah. uh so you know yeah there's a lot of problematic stuff in south park but on the whole it's it's good that we all get ripped in fact this is gonna sound mad but i quite like um I quite like that it exists, but spitting image, yeah. which I've been, I've been, I've seen a bit of on BritBox, because I think it's important that everyone gets the piss taken out of them. So Absolutely do I. Everyone, everyone should get challenged, right? Yeah, we should all. We should all. Uh, Tim Minchin said a wonderful thing. He said, um, "You should be rough with your opinions. You should take them out onto the veranda and give them a good kicking." You know, uh, I think that's that's a really important thing. Before we finish up for today, I just have a few more shout outs for um, independent work this summer. I've stuck with our comedy theme. I've got two more that I'm going to read out for you guys. Uh, This message is from Dylan Harris. Now, before I even read it, shout out to Dylan Harris because he actually listened very clearly to the instructions I put on social media (laughs) and sent me something that would be very easy to read out. And I actually was very grateful to him for that. Some others I had to like really piece it together. Anyway... He has sent in the following. Hi, guys. Really cool to see your supporting talent for the Fringe Festival. You're very welcome. Uh, My show, entitled Sweet Relief, follows a young boy, Dill, showcasing his sketch comedy ideas to his drama class, ideas he has kept to himself until now. It's about finding yourself but not taking yourself too seriously along the way. Just have a laugh. It would mean the world to me if you guys could share this info. Let them know to follow my page, Dylan's Creations, on YouTube and Instagram and get an idea of the tone of the sketches. The show Mm. runs from the 23rd to the 25th of August at 8pm at the Moustache Bar. Then on the 28th of August at 5pm at the Museum of Comedy. I like that. Finding yourself but not taking yourself too seriously along the way. I think we can all aim for that. So yeah, like Dylan's creations, yeah. Dylan's creations, that's cool. There we go. Check it out, folks. And then last one is called Lady Ilaria's Draws. It's on at the Hen and Chickens on the eighteenth and nineteenth of August at seven thirty. Oh, I've got an, a, a siren going off. One sec. Nino, 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 Nino. I live quite near a hospital, so it happens quite a lot. I, f- I just um, remembered the thing I was going to tell you about, but I'll, it doesn't really matter. I'll talk to you about it after the podcast. Okay. Okay. So last one. 
Then we've got Lady Ilaria's Draws on at the Hen and Chickens on the 18th and 19th of August at 7.30. This is a show about identity, dead guinea pigs, a Scottish mum prone to naked cooking, um, an errant Italian father, a chicken fetishist, a near-death experience, and a woman pooing in Ilaria's Cup for Life on a bus. (laughs) Written and performed by Ilaria Passeri and produced by Michael Jacob. Thank Check you, Michael out. Jacob, for that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Oh, that's that's been a fun little episode. It I've has. It's been a that. good one, hasn't it? Yeah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Anyway, I think that's it from us. So, um, once again, we've been Riffs and Scripts, and we we love hearing from you guys. So please email us at riffsandscripts at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram, Riffs and Scripts Pod. That's us. Or just look us up on Facebook, Riffs and Scripts. Chuck us a message. Send us some stuff. Thanks so much, you guys. Have a good week. Much love. Bye-bye. Hey, folks, it's Cole here doing the edit. I just wanted to let you guys know that as of the release of this episode of Riffs and Scripts, uh, some friends of mine in a band called Dead Man's Whiskey have just released a new single called Breakout, which is uh, quite aptly named, given what's going on at the moment. So uh, please go check them out. They're a uh, hard rock band, kind of new wave of classic rock type band uh, that we've gigged with a load of times. So Nico, if you're listening, you are the best. Fucking great singer. Please check out Dead Man's Whiskey and Breakout, the new single. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Bless you. Sorry, Cole. Edit that out. <laughs> Ooh. So sorry. One nose blow. Sorry, Cole. <laughs> strong nose blow actually that was that was decent that was uh thank you that was excellent i often get told i sound like a baby elephant when i blow my nose <laughs> could be that yeah you could do some noise. if there's any if there's ever like voiceover work with baby elephants then um <laughs> then, so then well done. sweet perfect cheeky cut there penis 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 all the penis peni all the penis peni peni <laughs> pinu <laughs> <laughs> that's going in the after credits moment 